Welcome to Mansplaining, a podcast about the interesting things you can discover if you just take the time to learn. My name is Joe, I'm your host for this week, and as always, I'm joined by my college friend Mark. Together, we'll explore what's on our minds and hopefully figure out a thing or two about a thing or two. Mark, I think we should start this program by acknowledging the passing of one of the nation's great mansplainers who we lost last night at the age of 74. Do you know who I'm talking about? I did not. I'm on pins and needles. I'm talking about Meatloaf. Oh, no. (laughs) Who infused his mansplaining with operatic pomposity, which I think is worth acknowledging. It's certainly something that I have aspired to in my own space. (laughs) Yes, me too. The man who sang these classic lines, Ain't no doubt about it, we were doubly blessed, because we were barely 17 and we were barely dressed. (laughs) We can all relate to those sentiments, can't we, Mark? (laughs) If anything, I'm afraid I was overdressed at 17, so... (laughs) So I'm afraid I didn't have the childhood, the teenage years that Meatloaf had or that I desired either, but uh, we've all got our own paths to follow. Okay, well, so be it. Maybe we should switch from that sublimity to the seemingly ridiculous topic that we're going to discuss today, which is the so-called Havana Syndrome. I asked you about this because this has been something that's been percolating in and out of the news for the last uh, four and a half years. And for the sake of continuity, I'm just going to read you the same question I asked you at the end of our last episode. About five years ago, some American diplomats in our embassy in Havana, Cuba, began reporting weird medical symptoms, ranging from ringing in their ears to headache, nausea, and a bunch of other symptoms. Ever since then, other military diplomatic personnel all over the world have fallen prey to these same symptoms. And the U.S. government has been studying this matter, but to my knowledge, at least, there's still no known cause, only a bunch of crazy-sounding theories to explain what has now been dubbed Havana Syndrome. So I asked you, what is going on here? And I'd love to hear what what you were able to track down and uh, hear about some possible causes and which one you think is the most likely. So what do you think? So first of all, thanks for the question, Joe. Uh, I feel like this is a similar topic to the question you asked about UFOs for a previous episode, in that there are definite answers are hard to find, but the questions are really, really interesting. So let's start by tracing the history of Havana Syndrome. In 2016 and 2017, at least five American diplomats working at the embassy in Havana, Cuba, reported experiences in which they felt like they were, quote, bombarded by waves of pressure in their heads, unquote, and many of them were left with serious injuries. Some reported hearing loud sounds that followed them from room to room, but which fell silent the moment they opened a door to the outside. This, published as part of an AP news story, is said to be a recording of those mysterious sounds. One of the people affected reported hearing the sounds when she was inside her home on the 21st floor of an apartment building, and afterwards she said she felt too dizzy and exhausted to think clearly. 
Another woman reported that while at home, she felt a sudden pressure inside her head, followed by a headache that persisted to the next day. Subsequently, she had trouble reading and felt dizzy for weeks. She had difficulty sleeping and suffered from memory loss. Some of the people affected said it felt like they were standing in an invisible beam of energy. In some cases, people who were nearby, including in the very next room, were completely unaffected. When medical exams were performed on these people, neuroimaging techniques revealed that they had suffered injuries that resembled concussions, even though there was no sign of physical impact or damage to the surrounding tissue. Initially, it was American diplomats and CIA officers who reported these experiences, but a Canadian diplomat and his family, including two young children, later reported a similar experience. A subsequent investigation by Canadian authorities turned up 12 cases among its embassy staff in Havana. The CIA replaced the agents who had been affected, but two of the replacements reported the very same experience. And in total, 26 Americans and 14 Canadians had confirmed physical symptoms, but 95 U.S. diplomats and family members reported medical issues. Now, you might remember that 2016 and 2017 was the period in which the U.S. was negotiating with Cuba to normalize relations between the two countries. Yes. This project, which was kicked off by President Obama, was opposed by the Russians and was also controversial among conservatives in America. Initial thoughts were that Havana Syndrome was somehow being inflicted on U.S. personnel by the Cuban Intelligence Network, possibly at the behest of the Russians, or maybe a hardline faction within Cuban intelligence was trying to derail the normalization talks. Cuban intelligence operatives make a general practice, it said, of surveilling every American at the embassy, both at home and at work, and they don't make a secret of it. Sometimes it seems like they want the Americans to know that they're being watched. They'll break into a diplomat's home and leave cigarette butts in the ashtray, or use the toilet but not flush what they leave there. So it was pretty easy to believe that Havana Syndrome might just have been the latest technique for harassing Americans. If so, however, it would have been a serious escalation on the part of the Cubans, because prior to this point, they had always been careful in their harassment campaigns not to cause actual physical harm on their targets. Mm -hmm. American diplomats formally accused the Cubans of being responsible, and naturally Cuba denied any responsibility. Raul Castro, then the head of state, and the second-in-command both personally denied that the Cuban intelligence agency was involved. And it was, in fact, plausible that they were not responsible, because normalizing relations with the U.S. had opened the door for hundreds of thousands of American tourists to visit Cuba every year, which brought in a lot of money to an impoverished nation. Right. So why jeopardize that windfall at the precise moment when Donald Trump had entered the White House and was already predisposed to cancel all of Obama's diplomatic policies? Right. If anything, the idea you floated about some hardliners trying to derail the process, that sounds more plausible than the official Cuban government doing it. But whatever the case, in August of 2017, the U.S. expelled two Cuban diplomats in retaliation for the attacks, and the following month, all non-essential staff were removed from the Cuban embassy, and U.S. citizens were warned not to travel there. And that's when Havana Syndrome went international. In 2018, a Commerce Department employee at a consulate in China reported the same experience and symptoms as the diplomats in Havana. And other diplomats reported similar experiences in other parts of China. 
An investigation turned up a total of 16 cases in that country. Since then, similar cases have been reported in Moscow, the former Soviet Georgia, Poland, Taiwan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Serbia, Colombia, the UK, Austria, Vietnam, India, Germany, Australia, and even our very own Washington, D.C. The incidents reported in Vienna, Germany, happened while representatives from the U.S. and Iran were in that city negotiating to reopen the Iran nuclear arms deal. And after Havana, Vienna is the number two city in number of cases of Havana syndrome. In Washington, D.C., a woman reported an incident that happened while she was out walking her dog. And a similar incident was reported on the lawn adjacent to the White House. Incidents in Vietnam, Germany, and India were reported in 2021, so this is not a historical episode. These are current events. So who or what is responsible? Several theories have been floated, and I feel like some we can probably roll out. First, the reports of weird sounds raised the idea that Havana syndrome might be caused by some sort of sonic weapon, but experts say that this is unlikely. For sound to cause concussion-like symptoms, it would have to be very, very loud, but that's not what the affected individuals reported. And as a second theory, a Canadian study in 2019 suggested that the symptoms of Havana syndrome are consistent with the effects of a certain type of pesticide that's used in Cuba to keep down mosquito populations. This explanation, though, can't really explain the cases in China, Germany, or other parts of the world, or why diplomats, embassy personnel, and CIA operatives appear to be specially targeted. Boy, I didn't hear that one about pesticides. I had heard the sound weapon would sound like a ray gun to me, you know? Yeah. Pretty fanciful. And then there's the theory that Havana syndrome is all in your mind, that is psychosomatic or a case of mass hysteria. The initial FBI investigation into the Havana incidents reached this conclusion. They did not, however, speak to any of the afflicted people and instead relied on transcripts and patient histories. And many of the afflicted individuals didn't know one another, while some didn't even know that others had been affected. This idea was given some weight, though, by a study of that recording I played earlier, which some entomologists identified as the call of the Cuban cicada. If these Americans were hearing this loud, weird, unidentifiable noise and interpreting it as some sort of sonic attack, then maybe the rest of their symptoms were psychosomatic. But from my perspective, given that the symptoms of Havana syndrome are long-lasting and similar to the outcome of a concussion, it does seem hard to believe that it could all be simply in the subject's minds. Hmm. So that brings us to what feels like more likely theories. A lot of people suspected the Russians back when the incidents were confined to Havana, and they remain the top suspect today. According to one report, there's cell phone location tracking data that clearly shows Russian intelligence operatives in close proximity to several of the affected American spies and diplomats at the time of the attack, and sometimes even staying within the same hotel. Some members of Trump's administration were convinced the Russians were responsible, and the Biden administration reportedly feels the same way. But given Trump's cozy relationship with Vladimir Putin, others within his administration tried to shut down any investigation that was looking to pin the Havana syndrome on the Russians. Not surprising. Yeah. It has been reported, though, that the U.S. government, at one point at least, was working on the theory that Russia's military intelligence agency was aiming microwave radiation devices at U.S. officials for the purpose of espionage. And that brings us to a very interesting related topic. 
the methods of modern espionage. Have you ever heard of the Moscow signal, Joe? The Moscow signal? Yes. No. Neither had I until I did this reading. Hmm. The Moscow signal refers to an incident in which, for more than 20 years between 1953 and 1976, microwaves were beamed at the American consulate in Moscow from a nearby apartment building. The microwave transmissions were only five microwaves per square centimeter, which is far less than what would be needed to heat anything, but it was well above Russia's own safety standards. The most likely explanation of the Moscow signal is that the microwave transmissions were being used to trigger eavesdropping devices hidden within the U.S. Embassy. Interesting. The way this works is the radiation activates passive listening devices. As an example of this, in 1945, a hand-carved wooden seal of the United States was presented by Russian schoolchildren to the U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union, and the ambassador hung it in his private study. Seven years later, a small listening device was discovered inside. It was a very clever design. It had no independent power source. And until activated, it was completely inactive, so it was almost impossible to detect. When radio waves of a certain frequency were beamed at it, though, the radiation carried enough power to activate the device, and it would start transmitting a recording of whatever was happening in the room. Now, you've probably heard of RFID chips which are the modern descendants of this technology. Passive RFID chips must be activated by a radio signal, at which point they start transmitting information. If this technology was available as long ago as the 1950s, then that makes the concept of using some kind of newfangled microwave technology extremely plausible for what happened in Havana, as far as I'm concerned. I think we can rest assured that research did not stop in 1973. Like they weren't like, oh, this worked really well. Let's stop doing this. Yeah. Uh, They would have continued to work on it for, at this point, you know, an additional 50 years. Right. So, yes. I'm also glad you answered the question. I had been meaning to ask you on the microwave theory whether this is the same microwave technology we heat our food with. And it sounds like it is from what you said. It's just at a much lower level. Yes, yes. Because I had been wondering, if this is indeed microwaves, then wouldn't the symptom be a burning sensation rather than ringing in your ears? But I guess at a lower level, it triggers different effects. Yeah, exactly so. And a little bit of trivia, which might come in use at some point in the future, Joe. The person, the scientist who developed that tiny little passive listening device that was hidden uh, in the U.S. consulate is the same person who invented the theremin, that weird-sounding musical instrument that you wave your hands over. Used in Good Vibrations, one of my favorite songs. (laughs) Right, yeah. Wow. So that's one use of espionage by way of invisible beams. Another utilizes microwaves, as we've been anticipating. For a while now, it's been possible to snoop on conversations inside a room by way of laser beams. The sound we make when we talk sets flexible surfaces in the room vibrating, and if you aim a laser beam through a window and at one of these vibrating surfaces, you can reconstruct those audio waves from patterns in the beam that's reflected back to you. Wow. This method, however, can be foiled by something as simple as blocking up the window or meeting in a windowless room, and that's where the microwaves come in. Microwaves are very high frequency, and so they can pass right through the wall. With the right equipment... You can use the method I just described, but you don't need a window. 
You aim your microwaves at the outside of the building. The radiation passes through the walls, and some small part of that band bounces off of the vibrating surface and returns to you with modulations that carry a record of the sounds inside that room. You need very sensitive instruments. The technology was developed by NASA for use in studying distant stars and planets, but it gives you the ability to eavesdrop on people inside buildings. Given everything we know, the microwave espionage device hypothesis does seem pretty solid. According to the science, a beam of microwave radiation can cause the formation of microbubbles inside the inner ear, which could cause damage to the organs that regulate balance, or even cause many strokes and brain damage. And the Havana syndrome effects might have been unintentional. According to researchers, if two surveillance devices, which in ordinary circumstances are inaudible, are placed too closely together, the resulting interference could become audible to the human ear. I heard a recording of one such interference pattern, and it sounds quite a bit like the recording that I played earlier. Hmm. And according to other sources, with current technology, such a device would be small enough to fit in the back of a van. So, what do I think is going on with the Havana Syndrome? I believe that initially this was espionage. Either the Russians or a faction of Cubans allied with the Russians used a focused microwave device to listen in on American diplomats and CIA agents. I think it's likely that the Havana Syndrome physical symptoms were initially accidental. Once it was clear that this was happening, though, on a scale that significantly undermined U.S. intelligence and diplomatic operations in Havana at a critical moment in U.S.-Cuban relations, I believe that someone, probably in Russian intelligence, had the bright idea that this new tool has more than one useful application. Assuming that such a thing exists, it would really be the perfect spy device. You can use it to listen in on conversations on the other side of a wall, and you could also use it to harass, intimidate, and maybe even physically disable other nations' intelligence operatives, all without leaving any physical trace of what you're doing. With such a device, you'd be able to operate with impunity, targeting whoever you want while maintaining plausible deniability if someone accuses you of being responsible. If Putin doesn't already have such a device, you know that he would love to have one, and you can also bet that there are American, Chinese, and who knows, maybe even North Korean scientists hard at work developing technology in this area. So you and I grew up watching Star Trek, Joe, and Starfleet officers were famously equipped with energy weapons called phasers. Having read up on this topic, I think we might be at a pivotal moment in world history when an early, clumsy version of that sort of weapon might actually be stepping out of science fiction and into newspaper headlines. And if that's true, I find the prospect pretty alarming. If we've got phasers set to stun right now, how long before they can be set to kill? Mm. Well, to borrow a, a word from Mr. Spock, fascinating. I think your idea is really plausible. And, uh, you know, though the U.S., to my knowledge, has tamped down on any direct connection to Russia, and it's kind of, from what I've been reading in the paper, pushing back against that a little bit, it occurs to me that if, if indeed this weapon existed, would the U.S. really tell its citizens about it, you know? This yeah. could be the kind of thing that's kept on the quiet because the best minds in both countries are analyzing it and working on counteracting forces, etc. So this seems to me the kind of thing that we would not tell our population about if we knew its existence. 
when you develop a new weapon, you have to use it. You're compelled to use it. I mean, the atomic bomb is the best example, but you don't just leave it on the shelf. You use it to see what effect it's going to have in the real world. So whoever's got this sophisticated technology is surely using it somewhere. Yeah, I, I feel like we're kind of turning a corner in terms of what's considered acceptable within international relations and aiming energy beams at one another might now be be on the table. Yes. And once a sufficient number of nations are doing this, then it's just going to become something that you can buy on the black market. And then drug dealers will have it and God knows who else will have it. Right. And that makes this episode kind of of a piece with the one we did on autonomous drones, too, if you think about it. Because that's another new technology that it's very difficult to constrain people from using it once they have it. Yeah, I remember reading a long time ago about how the rate of technology change is so much more rapid than human evolution, that basically our technology is evolving faster than we're able to cope with it. Like Because humans do change and adapt, but we do it at a rate much slower than uh, technology changes and adapts. And so it's just going to be one thing after the other of suddenly emerging technology that we are not really prepared to handle. Yes, and the delay it takes before our diplomats and cooler heads can get their wrap their brains around this and figure out how to control it. Yeah, that's that sounds right to me. But beyond that, Mark, I wanted I, a couple other things I want to say. I waited for you to present all the possibilities. I'm not so sure we should rule out what you call the mass hysteria theory. And here's why. I think there's something about the psychosomatic aspect of this that makes it compelling to me. And it might also explain why the symptoms could occurred in Washington, D.C. as well, which is one part of the story that never seemed to add up before to me. So think about this. Diplomats in an, in an embassy experience these weird symptoms. It gets publicized and sensationalized in the press. Diplomats all over the world are suddenly talking about it. Do you hear about Havana Syndrome? Oh my God. You know, and people who are more likely to believe they're experiencing what others in their same position experienced. So the psychosomatic aspect of this, the diplomats in Vienna having uh, digested all this information about this mysterious thing happening in Havana, all of a sudden they're feeling the same thing. And that would also explain why it would happen at home, because obviously the Russians can't target a microwave weapon in Washington, D.C., or at least I hope they are not that sophisticated. But if the diplomats in Washington, D.C. are just as affected by the fear and the uncertainty of what's going on around the world, it seems to me they could experience the same psychosomatic symptoms. So that's my reason why I think we can't quite rule out hysteria or psychogenic or whatever you call it. Sure. Yeah. That's the the trap of of psychosomatic type stuff uh, is that. You can never rule it out because the brain has such a powerful influence on the body. And I would not be surprised at all if it's both true that uh, Havana syndrome is caused by a microwave weapon and also true that some of the reported cases 
were psychosomatic. Like I, yes. I think I mentioned in the presentation that 95 Americans and family members reported some medical condition and something, some 20 something of those were confirmed on medical exam. So it's definitely possible right. in those other 70. Where I have trouble with the psychosomatic explanation is in the concussion-like symptoms where there's actual physical results. Like I feel like the mm. brain is enough to make you feel dizzy or nauseous or listless, that sort of thing. But I don't feel right. like it's going to cause – I don't feel like so, psychosomatic conditions would leave a physical record behind. Or I could be wrong about that. But And then there's also the case of the fact that children were afflicted by it. And I think probably young children, their parents were not saying, you know, Bobby, you know, before you go to sleep, let me tell you. Some people think that the Russians are aiming energy beam weapons at us. Probably the mm. kids didn't know. And so right. – and when the reports I read said that the kids were getting nosebleeds and that sort of thing, and that just doesn't sound to me like a psychosomatic illness. It could be that I'm naive on the topic, but but this is one of those things, and it is very similar to the UFO episode, that there are no clear absolutes, oh, well, this is the case scenarios. It's just yes. competing competing probabilities, and it seems more probable to me that there's some sort of espionage technique that's leaving a physical residue, then that the whole thing is just being imagined by people who are getting scared from what they hear from other people. Yes. Yeah. Very good point. And uh, I do agree with you that this could be a both and and not necessarily an either or scenario. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I wanted to say was on that the point about UFOs. I can see why you said at the top that this whole debate reminds you of our episode on UFOs, which is uh, episode number 25 of Mansplaining, for anyone who's interested in listening to it, it actually has a lot of the same elements. So we have these mysterious incidents experienced by a small number of people that are kind of unprovable, you know? Mm -hmm. There's no video or evidence. So I guess in this case, there's audio evidence. But immediately a group of the affected people and the true believers around them kind of form their own tribe, you know? The government is initially skeptical in both cases, kind of throwing cold water on the craziest ideas of what's going on. And then there's the inevitable backlash against the government's skepticism and government secrecy as well, which leads to more true believers joining the tribe. And in those respects, I think the two phenomena are very similar. Yeah, yeah. Though, yeah, we have not yet seen reports of anal probes <laughs> within the Venezuela. <laughs> Perhaps it's just a matter of time. Not yet. And I'd like to point out that in X-Files parlance, I was a scully in the UFO episode, you know, kind of a skeptic, mm. and I'm more of a molder in the Havana Syndrome episode. So I'm covering both sides of these things. Interesting. So there'll be another mansplaining, I'm sure, in a year or so devoted to the new anal probe technology that Russia <laughs> or somebody develops. Yes. But So stay tuned for that, folks. Microwave anal probe is the name of my new rock band. <laughs> That's TMI, Mark. (laughs) So did I answer your question? Yeah, you sure did. I mean, there's no definitive answer, but I think your your theory is as good as any I've heard or read about in the press. And uh, 
in case you don't know, the just in today's New York Times, there's an article about Havana Syndrome, which I read right before we taped this. And the headline is, Foreign Power Not Seen by CIA as Cause of Havana Syndrome. So lending further credence. Mm, they're changing their tune on that. Yeah. Well, the truth is out there. The truth is out there. Right. So are you ready for your question for next time? I am. Hit me. Okay. So this question has been lurking in the back of my mind for a while. Uh-oh. Many sources will tell you that violent crime rates have been trending downwards for decades and that anyone who tells you otherwise, for instance, TV news shows or conservative politicians, they're just trying to scare you. And I took this as fact for a very long time. But then I came across an article on the data revolution in police work. In a nutshell, the article described how once police departments began to track crime statistics within their jurisdiction, chiefs of police were expected to reduce crime rates year over year, and that created a perverse incentive leading some police departments to underreport crime in their districts so that their stats would look better, mm. which made me wonder, how trustworthy are our crime stats in the first place? So my question to you, Joe, who is it that's actually gathering and reporting these crime stats that we hear about? And should we feel confident in what they're reporting? Ooh, interesting question. And uh, I hope you'll share with me that article that got you thinking about this, because I'd love to start right there. Sure, I'll start Googling and see if I can find it. All right, but I will, I will definitely get on that and get you some kind of answer in a couple of weeks. Okay, and hopefully set my mind at ease. Yes. If you like this episode of Mansplaining, or if you want to leave a comment about this or any other episode of our podcast, please go to our Facebook page, Mansplaining the Podcast. We welcome your feedback, positive or negative. Uh, we especially like when you like us. And uh, we're also open to topic ideas for future episodes. Uh, the page is also where we post our sources for each episode. Please don't ask us to do Mansplaining the Musical. <laughs> I fear that's, that's a request that Mark and I cannot honor. Not in any form that anyone would want to listen to, no. <laughs> yes. Other than that, though, as far as Mansplaining goes, we may not be meatloaf, but we're not chopped liver either. And that's it for this edition of Mansplaining. That was Mark, and I'm Joe, and we'll talk to you next time. See you next time. That's it for this edition of Mansplaining. Mansplaining is brought to you by Joe and Mark and nobody else. Thank you for hanging out with us for a little bit, and we'll see you next time. 